What's going on, everybody? This is Rafiki, and welcome to Power BT, a podcast that will take you to the West Indies and beyond with powerful short stories written by yours truly. Here, we will also dive into the history, culture, and literature of the region I call home and the parts of the world to help build it into what it is today. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode, the first episode of June um, for Power BT, um, if I remember correctly. I feel like that's something I should know off the top of my head, but I don't. I just have so much going on, as we all do. But I wanted to break out this episode by saying happy pride to all of my queer brothers and sisters and people in between. Um, I'm really happy to have come so far in my own identity with my own queerness, balancing that with the other parts of my identity and my blackness, you know, my Caribbean heritage, um, and different things like that. So, you know, pride is really, really important because as many people say, there are people who believe they're better off, you know, not here amongst the living, or they believe they're better off unhappy than being themselves. And that's just a reminder of why we celebrate pride to this day, I think that's, it's even more important, um, especially amongst like the African diaspora um, and, you know, black youth and things like that. When we look at countries, unfortunately, like Uganda, which are passing these extremely strict laws about um, queerness and, and basically making it illegal to be ourselves, illegal to live. And it's very, very, very unfortunate that we're still dealing with something like this in 2023 but kind of wanted to start with that you know shout out pride shout out to all my uh, my you know lgbt plus lgbtq plus people um this month and pride is year round but we take special time here to celebrate it um i was actually kind of you know interested in the fact that you know with the u.s being the what it is how it centers itself and therefore other countries center it seeing that in other countries, like certain people are celebrating pride at the same time, um, which kind of shocked me because living in Atlanta, you know, moving from New York, living in Atlanta, pride was celebrated in October, which I always thought was so stupid um, because everyone knows pride month is June. So Atlanta's pride was in October. It was just, it was just so out of whack. It was like, I am no shade because people talk about Atlanta being, you know, I think like the gay capital of, of the United States. Um, but I just hated how the, how pride was organized in terms of timing, not in terms of the celebration and things like that, but in terms of timing, I did not, um, enjoy that it was in October, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about pride. I wanted to tie this into our Ebo collection. And I think a lot of people are going to be a little shocked or, you know, depending on their opinions on things, I would hope not, but some people still in this day and age, don't believe that queerness is an active um, thing that occurs within uh, different groups of people. Some people might say that, oh, you can't be West Indian, you can't be Jamaican and be gay, or you can't be, you know, Nigerian and be gay. I've definitely heard people say things like that. You can't be black and be gay. Um, And these things are simply not true. They're simply so far from the truth. And I wanted to kind of tie it into um, the Igbo Nation or, and the Ebo collection that we're doing here on Power BT, 
um, and talk about a book that I had come across, which I have not really gotten the chance to read, but I've like kind of skimmed the synopsis and I want to add it to my reading list. And it is called Queer Crossings, Kinship, Marriage, and Sexuality in Igbo Land. So this is a scholarly journal, and I'll include the link to this in the show notes. This is a scholarly journal written by Andrew Apter, and he discusses how um, queer relationships, specifically among um, cisgender women, so essentially lesbian relationships, are viewed within Igbo land, which is, would, would be in what is now modern-day Nigeria, as well as in Karaku, um, the tiny little island that my mother's parents would call home, that I would call home as well. Um, And in the short synopsis, he states that for the former um, lesbian relationships within Igboland, within West Africa, were jural. So they were strictly done, in a sense, in exchange for power. So you hear hear about things like this in, like, neighboring um, West African groups and communities, like with the woman king. Not necessarily the fact that in the woman king... She, um, she did not marry anybody, but the idea that women take on what might be seen as more masculine roles or have like um, wives and things like that, depending on their status within society and their jobs within society. So that's what um, Andrew means when he says that in Igbo land, um, lesbian relationships are jural, while in Karaku they are sexualized. And I think many of us are aware of the fact that if we talk about queerness specifically for women, um, for cisgender women, and even trans women, um, but if we talk about queerness for them, when it's not homophobic or transphobic or just generally queerphobic, there's a lot of um, hypersexualization that goes on, a lot of fetishization. And we see this in popular culture, you know, with, you know, straight men saying they want to have sex with two women at the same time, or, or the fact that there's a double standard in how women can present themselves as bisexual or sexually fluid, um, and it is seen as something that is um, somewhat desirable depending on who they are with because men might see it as, as a chance to sleep with multiple women at the same time if their partner um, is into women as well. However, with men being bisexual, we know that like there's a lot of stigma for um men being um expressing you know a life for both genders or multiple genders you know even if one of my favorite shows insecure one of the episodes you know one of the characters molly if you know insecure you know molly she goes and she goes on a date she really likes the guy and the guy tells her how he slept with the guy one time but has never done it again it just wasn't for him he essentially tried something and she instantly labeled him as gay based off of that one you know, experience, but when she's talking about it amongst their girl, her girlfriends, they say that, you know, for women, it's different, but for men, if a man sleeps with another man or does something with another man, he's instantly gay, no matter if he never does it again, all these different things. So the, the book, essentially, that Andrew Apter writes focuses on how lesbian relationships are viewed within Igboland, within Karaku. So if we know that in the Western um, context, lesbian relationships are, are sexualized, it should come no, as no shock due to the proximity of the Caribbean to the United States and due to a bunch of other things that this perception of lesbian relationships continues and is deepened. I haven't 
unfortunately i have not had the chance to read the book it is something that i'm i'm going to make time for reading i'm currently reading bell hooks's um book all about love new visions um really enjoying that book but it doesn't really tie into what we're talking about today at least not right now i haven't built a connection between um the collection that we're doing with the evil people and that story but i wanted to kind of highlight how queer relationships and queerness has been a part of human life and human history from the beginning of time for every nearly every culture and unfortunately due to colonialism and then due to internalized white supremacy um we are being taught that queerness is, is a man-made construct or it's a, it's a white construct so that it shouldn't be present within varying um, cultures and people of color and things like that and it's simply not true and this book highlights that as well as many others so if you're interested in seeing how queerness um, exists within indigenous cultures beyond maybe Native American cultures and, and um, Hindu cultures and things like that, I suggest that you expand your reading list to look into, obviously, Africa, to look into the Middle East and all these different places because queerness, queer people are everywhere. We always have been, and I believe we always will be, despite the serious laws coming into play here in the United States about drag races and and Florida is like a cesspool right now but I don't want to get too much off topic but I just wanted to share that piece I think it'll be a good read for everybody who's interested in it I think it fits the theme of pride month as well um and if you do read it before I do please reach out to me via Instagram via Twitter and let me know what you think I also wanted to talk about a famous writer who passed away and while she is not Igbo, um, I actually don't know her ethnic group. She is from Ghana, and her name is Ama Ata Aido. Um, she passed away, I believe, May 31st, so I think almost a week ago. She was a Ghanaian author, poet, playwright, politician, and academic. And I first came into contact with um, Ama, Christina Ama Ata Aido. Um, I first came into contact with her when I saw this clip on Instagram years ago and I bookmarked it. Um, and she was talking about how um, the African continent has been, you know, siphoned of its wealth and resources by the Western world. And obviously this is not a new conversation, um, but it's one that is ongoing um, and affects many different parts of the world, whether it's, you know, places in Asia, South, South America, so on and so forth. Um, and so to see that she passed away was quite sad. It's funny because I, I realized too, after that she passed away, one of my favorite artists, Burner Boy, who is Nigerian, included her, I think, most famous speech that I've seen about how the Western world has, you know, drained the global south of its resources. And she's specifically talking about Africa, but it's just a very, very interesting piece. So I'm going to include... Um, just like a link on her for those who might be interested. She apparently was raised in a Fonte royal household um, and was the daughter of Chief Abed Dazi Kiakor. Um, and her grandfather was murdered by neo colonists. So that kind of launched her father's attention and therefore her education 
um, on the history and events of their time period. So for someone like her being born in 1942 and living until 2023, she has seen her own country become liberated, um, become independent from colonial rule. She's seen so many different things. And I can only imagine sitting down and talking to her the things one can learn. So I'm actually adding this to my list of people I want to research, people I want to look into. You know, there's always that saying that when an elderly person dies, they take a library with them. But I think that's especially true for someone who dedicates their life to academia, who dedicates their life to the study of a certain subject. Um, And then on top of that, someone who writes um, and shares what they've learned with the world. So just kind of wanted to pay my respects to Christina Ama Ata Aido um, concerning she just passed away um, and that she's left a large legacy behind her. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about another Evo Nation song from Karaku, from Karaku's Big Drum Dance. And this song is titled Ebo and Dem. It is very simple. Um, there's not much to the lyrics. The lyrics are not even written out, but it's simply Ebo, Ebo, Ebo and Dem. Ebo, Ebo, Ebo and Dem. Um, and I'm st- still going to play a recording um, because I feel like it's worth doing just for you know the listener to hear. Um, it can be a little hard to decipher because I think this 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 song to me is more so about like the energy um and it's definitely like one to hype up the community I haven't been able to find any deeper information on it so a lot of it is for my own interpretation um but simply the phrase Igbo and them like it's just highlighting the fact that there's the Igbo people who identify as Igbo and then the rest or maybe it's just talking about all the Igbo I mean there's just there's not that much to go on but I think there's no point in making it more complicated than it is. I'm also going to include a video. Um, I think this is from the last few years of a little boy dancing to the song in Karaku and he is killing it, like his footwork is crazy. Um, so I just wanted to share the song and then go into today's story. Um, so I hope you guys are enjoying the episode so far. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to follow the show, share with people you know, listen to old episodes. Um, and I thank you for being here. recording of Ibo and Dem as you can see very simple upon listening to it again like I know that they're saying something in the background because of course the Chantwell the main singer you know these songs are done in the call and response format so the Chantwell is calling out and the the community responds and sings back so it sounds like when he says Ibo and Dem the the community is saying Ilela and I could be misunderstanding it. This recording that I shared is more recent. It's from the 1980s, if I remember correctly. Um, and my understanding of French is fairly good. My understanding of Patois or French Crow, however you want to call it, is growing as I study um, these folk songs more and more. Um, but 
Caracol and Grenada's dialect is so much different than, you know, the other French Creole dialects in the Caribbean. So there's a difference because in Haiti, to say he is there, which is what il et la means, if I'm, you know, translating it correctly, hearing it correctly, to say he is there in Haitian Creole would just be Lila. It sounds like in the song they're saying il est la. Now, there could be a reason as to why, if that is correct, why the Grenadian phrase or the Caracou phrase is more closely resembling a French than the Haitian phrase in this sense. Um, or I could be completely, you know, misinterpreting what they're saying. But I think that they're saying il est la, which would make sense because the audience would essentially be saying he is here or they are here. And then the Chantwell saying Igbo and them. So essentially the, commun- the communities telling one another that the Igbo people are here, the, the Igbo ancestors are present there or there with them. Um, because these songs essentially pay respect to the dead, pay respect to those who came before, um, and have other spiritual and cultural um, forms of significance. But I wanted to kind of share that, break it down a little further, um, because I know I spoke about it prior to sharing the recording. But in today's episode, I will be narrating um, a short story I wrote inspired by this song called Ebo and Who. Concerning the songs Ebo and Dem, I felt like that would be funny. So please be sure to sit back, relax, um, and enjoy the story. Once again, I want to add a disclaimer that these short stories, these works of fiction, are not the origin behind the, the big drum dance in Karaku. Karaku's big drum dance predates me and these works of art by centuries, um, and these stories are inspired by this beautiful tradition on this tiny little island. To be a twin is a special thing. To be a triplet is even more rare. There was a time when all of humanity was born with a companion, be it one or two. Twins and triplets were commonplace, and to be born without a companion made one an oddity. Some tribes were more fertile than others, and it was the Igbo who were the most bountiful of them all. The Igbo who were taken at Karaku suffered greatly under the harsh conditions of their new home, and many succumbed to cruel treatment violence, and disease. Despite this, their population continued to grow. As the masters of old fled to Europe, the kayaks came to govern themselves. Soon, they found themselves with a new problem. Karaku was running out of space, and the Igbo's number continued to grow. Neil let out a long, deep yawn as he rose from his tiny cot. His room was dark and hot, packed tightly with the bodies of his male brothers, cousins, and friends. There was scarcely room to walk without stepping on anyone, and so Neil did not even bother to try. A boy grunted in pain as Neil's foot came down slightly on his leg, and Neil sucked his teeth as the sleepy victim punched his calf. He continued to step over his family, eliciting grunts and groans of annoyance. Neil finally escaped the cramped bedroom and stepped into the green hall of the communal boy's house that he and his family lived in. His parents, aunts, and uncles lived in smaller houses around the boys' house, and on the same plot of land was a communal house for the girls of the same age. Each house was painted a vibrant mix of red, yellow, and green, giving them the feel of a ripening mango. In the center of the communal yard was a well for water. Each house had four bathrooms for people to relieve themselves and shower, 
but latrines had been built in the three corners of the yard to help accommodate so many people. From above, the Saj estate looked like a little village. From a true bird's eye view, Karaku looked as packed as Rio de Janeiro. Neil rubbed his hand against the staircase's banister as he walked downstairs and headed outside to the communal garden. The heat on his skin intensified the moment he stepped into the sunlight, and he threw his hand above his eyes to shield them. Bending down in front of the garden, Neil fumbled through the various plants before he found what he was looking for, Black Sage. The name was highly misleading, as the plant looked like a weed to the average eye. Neil snapped a branch from the plant and picked off the leaves. Yawning again, he carried the bare stem with him back to the house and into the kitchen. The rusted faucet knobs groaned as Neil turned them, and water sputtered out before flowing steadily. Neil rinsed off the stem briefly before cutting into the edge with a kitchen knife, making fine bristles. Within five minutes, he had made himself a toothbrush. Come on in, said a young voice. Neil jumped and turned around, coming face to face with his younger brother, Shitachi. In the split second Neil had started brushing his teeth, Shitachi had gathered his own stem to make a toothbrush with. He was not alone. The rest of the boys who had been sleeping soundly upstairs had started to stir, and they descended the staircase in a steady line towards the garden. The Saj estate had awoken. Bonjour and good morning echoed in the house as the boys all greeted one another, shoving one another roughly and laughing as sleepiness was replaced with excitement. As if on cue, the adults meandered from their shared houses, each pair alternating between communal houses for the boys and girls to check on the children. Neil rinsed out his mouth with a cup of water as he had prepared in advance and slowly worked his way outside. It was the only place where he could breathe comfortably, but even the yard was starting to grow fill. Bon dieu, one of his aunts exclaimed. I can't take this anymore. It's too much. There's too many people on this island. There's too many people in this place. Neil watched as a man bent in front of the garden, surveying the crops. It was his Uncle Carl. From where he stood, he caught glimpses as his Uncle Carl shook his head. He stood and dusted his hands on his pants. A deep scowl scarred his face. Carl walked close to the woman who had exclaimed earlier and the two of them began to talk passionately. Neil watched as his aunt, who he now recognized as Auntie Glenda, began to cry. Neil was young, but he had seen this happen before. Only one thing caused it, talk of leaving Karaku. Neil pushed his way past playing boys and girls until he stood in front of his aunt and uncle. Glenda was crying uncontrollably now, and Carl was trying to hide her tears and console her at the same time. We must leave Glenda, urged Carl. If we don't, we'll stop out. The two of them looked down at Neil as he tugged at their shirts. You don't have to cry anymore, Neil said. I can fix this. Glenda wiped her tears and sniffed. Fix what? You're just a child, you can't fix this. This problem is much older than you. Glenda's words stung like a wasp, and Neil walked away with bald fists until he had left the confines of the Saj estate. He kicked at the grass with frustration before sitting down. Hot tears streamed down his cheeks, and he curled inward on himself, hiding his face. Neil Scott? asked a soft voice. Is that your crying so? Neil kept his head down as a soft hand touched him, cooling his arm pleasantly. It's me, Neil, 
your mother. Everyone's a mother. I'm Mama Nu. Do you know me? Neil nodded his head, but he did not look up. His tiny voice came out in muffled sobs. There's so many people here, and I don't want them to leave even though we need more space. I don't want everyone to leave. I want people to be happy. Mama Nu looked around them, her brown eyes taking in the growing aridness of the island. Tin rooftops dotted the land, and trees fell before her eyes. Soon little would grow, and water would be scarce. She could see how her children were exhausting everything around them, exhausting themselves. Sighing, Mama Nu sat next to him. Neil, she started. I can make this end. I always wanted a big family, but I see it is hurting you all now. I never meant that. Do you want me to fix this? Neil finally lifted his head and looked at her. Will Auntie Glenda and Uncle Carl stay? Yes, Mama Nu said, but many will be gone. You must remember that you are never alone, Neil. All your friends and family will be in the sky as the stars above. They will be in the earth and the breeze. They will be here in a different way. All you have to do is remember them. Does that make sense? Neil nodded and Mama Nu stood. She helped him to his feet. Go home, Neil. Remember what I told you. It is in the times that we feel most alone that we must lean on ourselves as if we are not single, but plural. Find community with your body. Make your heart, mind, and limbs your neighbors, your friends. It is then you will know them, the evil, the people who are around you right now, and the rest of the old parents' nations. Neil nodded with confusion, with a reassuring gaze and hug from Amanu filled him with a sense of trust that spurred him on. He did not look back as Mama Nu sank to her knees, holding her head in her hands. Her long locks fell forward, as did the white and yellow silk of her dress and shawl as she wept. Mama Nu touched the ground, and a gust of wind and light consumed everything. Birdsong, the crash of ocean waves, and the chatter of people became suddenly silent. The ball of light continued to grow, surrounding all of Karaku for a moment, and when it faded, the Igbo, the giants of the island, had been brought down to size, their numbers reduced. Neil awoke the next day with a loud yawn. His once-packed room was nearly empty, save for his brother, Katachi. It felt like ages since she had, he had seen them. Neil jumped from his bed and shook him awake. wake up. Chitachi groaned and pushed Neil away. What do you want? Where is everybody? Neil asked. Sleep in. Go look for them instead of Bada and me. Neil paced the room. Everyone. Everyone was just here. They couldn't have... He froze as the memory of the day before returned. Chitachi raised the brow in confusion. You okay? What are you looking for? Neil shook his head. Nothing. It's, it's nothing. Go back to bed. Neil watched quietly as his brother crawled back into his cot. He sat on the edge of his own and looked out the window into the horizon. The blue of the sea blended with the blue of the sky, and a calm breeze wafted inside through the screen. Closing his eyes, Neil breathed deeply, trying to calm his sorrow. Chitati sat up in his cot. 
Neil? Yeah? You remember when we used to sing and dance to that one song? Well, friends and cousins. Shatati asked. Neil turned around in his cot and saw his brother's teary-eyed face. A silent message, one of understanding, passed between them, and Neil felt his own eyes begin to sting. Yeah. Do you? Shatachi simply nodded and laid back down. Neil watched his brother fight tears for a moment before lying down too. It was then that he knew he would never forget those who had been there only a day ago. Now, the evil walk with all. It is they who keep Karaku's people from feeling lonely. Well, everyone, that is it for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. I I had different things planned for this story, but it was getting long. Um, and, you know, coming back to writing, you know, short stories again after, like, taking a month off, it's kind of challenging. Um, but I I wanted to kind of make this the story about community because Ebo and Dem, as a song that I've seen, it doesn't, not that it doesn't have meaning, but there's just, it's just very simple. And so I just kind of just wrote something that I felt like was very reflective of a lot of people, the idea that, you know, one group can be so prominent. And I think that not even just talking about the Igbo, but talking about Nigeria's representation in um, the Black diaspora, like when people do like genealogy tests and things like that, like groups from what is now modern day Nigeria are so, um, I don't want to say overrepresented, even though some might say that, but they're just so prominent, you know, um, different ancestry to different what are now Nigerian groups is just so common place in people within the diaspora. So I kind of wanted to highlight that, talk about how people are dealing with overpopulation and all these different things. And, and some might say that overpopulation isn't, isn't a thing. Some might say that we have all the resources we need. It's just they're hoarded by a small amount of people. Um, but unfortunately, humans have we, we take up a lot of space and, and we don't treat uh, the earth the way we should. And I kind of wanted to allude to those things with the story, um, give like a reset to, I guess, what was going on within the world, within the story, and kind of bring in Mama New, who's a figure who showed up before, um, trying to figure out how these stories tie into a broader, I would say, a broader, <laughs> I don't even know, a broader something. I'm, I'm thinking of this as I'm recording this, so um, thank you guys for listening, um, and I hope to see you again on next week's episode. Please be sure to subscribe to the show, share, um, and follow on Instagram and Twitter for more.